Thank you, praise team, for that wonderful time of, of worship. And turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to take an unusual turn uh, today. Uh, you, you think that we would just plug right through Acts chapter 11 going forward, but we're act actually going to look back because Peter looks back. And um, we're going to read the first four verses to start off with, and I'll introduce the title uh, of the sermon for today. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. In other words, you, you fellowshiped, you went to their house, how dare you? Peter began to explain to them step by step. Peter began to explain to them step by step everything that had happened to him over the last week. And it's a marvelous story, and it's told once again by Peter. And we're not going to look at those verses, about you know, 13 or so verses, when he just describes everything that happened in chapter 10. We're going to go back to chapter 10 and look at those. But I, I kind of wanted to... Um, preach today on shutting down your critics. And I don't mean that to sound, to sound harsh. Uh, we get all types of criticism. Some of it is justified, some of it is not. Um, some of it can be very helpful, some, some, sometimes it's very unhelpful. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a thing that we all face. And criticism is a real, real thing in the world. How do you deal with criticism? How do you handle it? Um, what was their criticism about in your life? Was it justified? Did their criticism have any merit whatsoever? Um, well, let's see how Peter dealt with the criticism that he was uh, faced with, because it says literally they criticized him, and how he shut down his critics. And there's a way to go about it that's just not offensive and and I think too, too much of the time, we really get, you know, ooh, just bristle up every time somebody criticizes, criticizes us. And, and it may have merit. I mean, it may be justifiable criticism. But, but we, kinda re we have a tendency to rebel against it, do we not? So let's look at uh, Peter and how he dealt with the criticism. And the next 13 or so verses of chapter 11... He's just going to recount the story back in chapter 10. So we're going to look verse by verse, uh, go through it re re relatively quickly this morning. Um, and verses uh, 22 is where, where we will begin. Acts chapter 10, we'll begin looking at uh, 22 and uh, the first part of 23. Now I call that 23a, uh, but you can call it what you want. But uh, in beginning in verse 22, they said... Cornelius, now they, meaning this group that Cornelius sent to go find Peter, now they found Peter, now they're trying to uh, persuade him to come to Caesarea. Okay, they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you, 
Peter then invited them to stay, and he gave them lodging. Well, let me talk a little bit about Cornelius. Now, being a Roman soldier, a centurion, uh, he was in charge, of, that means he was in charge of 100 soldiers. Um, you might think of him as being hardened, of being a no-nonsense kind of a leader, um, yeah, tough to deal with, tough in all circumstances. Maybe he was, but the Bible says he was a good man. The Bible says he was righteous. He, he prayed on a daily basis. He, he had compassion, if you can imagine, a Roman centurion having compassion on the people he was in charge of. And there were poor Jews all around him, and he, and he gave alms to them, and he prayed for everybody. But there was one specific prayer that he was praying for. Lord, send me truth. I believe he, he knew of a, of a God out there that was greater than him, and he was beginning to hear something about the way, you know, Jesus' movement, and he wanted to know more about, we'll get, about that. But we'll get into that a little bit more as we go on. He knew he was not, well, they didn't know the term saved, but, but he knew he wasn't saved. He knew there was something more out there. Uh, and, and he felt like Peter was the kind of a person who would show him that. And so after Cornelius had received this vision uh, to send somebody, to uh, Peter coming and, and talking to them uh, about the gospel, he sends those people on the way. Look at verse, uh, pick up in verse 23 and uh, following. The next day he got up and set out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. And the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was expecting them and called together all of his relatives and close friends. Still, one of the most effective forms of evangelism is hospitality evangelism. Do you know what hospitality evangelism is? It's when you invite your closest friends or maybe people you don't know, maybe it's new neighbors or something, and you invite them to your home for the sole purpose of having a gospel conversation with them, introducing Jesus to them, try, trying to persuade them to accept Christ, if it comes to that. And it's hospitality evangelism. And there's still no better way to lead people to Christ than to let them know that you love them, that you serve them a meal or you serve them refreshments, you invite them into your home. And that says, you care about me. And it really tills the soil of the heart, uh, enabling them to open up and to check out their spiritual condition. It's a wonderful way to do evangelism. Let's move to Acts chapter 10, verse 25. Verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. And Pope Peter held out his ring and said, kiss this. Now, that's what it says in my version. I, uh, no, no, it doesn't say that. Well, our, you know, our, our Catholic friends believe that Peter was the first pope, that bridge to Christ and to God. And it would have been normal for Cornelius to have bowed down to the first pope and, and paid him homage. But notice Peter's response in verse 26, the very next verse. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, man. I am also a man. 
So it's kind of almost a humorous situation. Uh, but I want you to think of this as an amazing, an amazing sight and scene. Caesarea was, um, you know, in, in Judea, but was truly a Roman city. It was built by Herod the Great in honor of Caesar. That's where it gets its name, Caesarea. And it was a beautiful city, and you had just about everything there you could want in a city. Plus, it had one of those circus-like in environments where they raced chariots like, like you saw on Ben-Hur, if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur. And Cornelius, being an officer, most likely lived in a place of some luxury. I mean, it probably some certainly better than his soldiers and better than most of the people uh, who, who were Jewish who lived in that term, in, in that city. And all of a sudden, they've invited a Galilean fisherman to come in and to talk to them. So imagine the scene. And, and Cornelius just falls to his, his knees in, in respect. And, he, and Peter picks up Cornelius and says, Stand up, man. I'm, I'm just like you, flesh and blood. In verses 27 through 28, follow along. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. And Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. Whoa, wait a minute. Would you please find somewhere in the Torah, that is the first five books of the Bible, where God said, You the Jew cannot fellowship, cannot associate with, in any form or fashion, a Gentile. It's not there. Now, there are warnings about taking their gods and taking their wives and, you know, uh, getting involved in idolatry and so forth. But never does it say you are to associate with them. It doesn't say that. You see, the Jews wrote a whole bunch of laws. And they would, in a sense, put fences around those laws, and they wrote that it was sinful to associate with a Gentile, a non-Jew, who was unclean and unwashed, that is, they didn't wash themselves ceremonially like the Pharisees and, and the good Jews of that day, and Peter bought into this so-called law, everybody did. It was so ingrained in their culture, in their spirit, that you couldn't have anything to do with unclean Gentiles. But Peter was wrong in that this was man's law, not God's law. So continue. I think it's important that we realize that. You know, Peter was just doing what, what was right before God. Maybe you thought that. He wasn't. Nobody was. God didn't state this. This was man's law. Continuing on in verse 28, but God has shown me, he says, that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Well, how had God, how had he shown Peter this truth? So recall, if you will, the vision and the, or the trance that God put Peter in when he was there on, uh, on the roof of the house. He was hungry and the, and he shows them this vision. And so I won't go back over the vision again, but he shows it to them three times. 
In other words, God was telling him, you know, he said, Peter, get up and eat. Peter, get up and eat. Peter, get up and eat. Really what he's saying is, Peter, what I call worthy, don't you dare call unworthy to hear the gospel, to be saved. And it took three times for Peter to get that message. Now, sometimes we, we get very spiritual about this. We say, why did God deliver this message three times? Three is the perfect number. There's something to be said for the number three is the number seven. I think Peter was so hardened in this truth that God had to tell him three times. And finally, after the third time, I believe Peter got it. Does God have your attention or does he have to drill it into your head over and over and over again? Whatever it is, he's wanting you to know. You have to, does he have to repeat it? Do you have to go through the same circumstances that you find yourselves in your life? Or does God finally have your attention? And whatever area that is, to lead you to change, to transform you. I want you to consider that this morning. And God is saying, Peter, don't dare call unclean what I've called clean. Peter, don't dare call unworthy to receive the gospel who I've deemed worthy to hear the gospel. And it had everything. It had nothing to do with animals. It had everything to do with people. Jews and Gentiles, the unwashed. Let's look at verse 29. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask you, why did you send, why did you send for me? And we might be tempted to pat Peter on the back and say, well, he, he, he finally did it. He finally accepted this, this new way of life and thrown out man's law and accepted God's rules and, uh, for, for a living that everybody was accepted. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that this kind of uh, uh, way of living of, 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 of Jew versus Gentile kind of plagued Peter for most of his life. Uh, in Galatians, we read from Paul that Peter came and visited where they were, they had so many Jews coming to Christ and the Holy Spirit was coming down on all of these Jews. This was sometime later than, than this episode. And, and Peter was really enjoying being with all these Gentiles and, and eating the foods that they were eating and just enjoying their, their rich culture until some Judaizers, that is the uncircumcised party, that is the Jews who believed in Christ but demanded that they have to be circumcised. And they arrived on the scene, and Peter got up from the table real quickly and just kind of walked away. Just, Oh, I didn't see these Gentiles here. Hey, Jewish brothers. And Paul let him have it. And really, really, he, he, he said, Peter, what are you doing? And it says some of the Gentiles fell away because of what Peter did. But anyway, so at least at this time, Peter is willing to step into this Jewish household. Let's look at verses 30 and 31. Cornelius replied, four days ago, about this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in the house. Just then, a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Now, some Christians think God does not hear 
the prayers of lost people. And, and I know what they mean. We had a, a, seminar, a, um, a convention president, a Southern Baptist convention president back in the early 80s. Uh, Bailey Smith made a, an infant, um, really kind of a, an unpopular comment, but I understood where he was coming from when he said, God doesn't hear the prayers of lost people. And what he's saying is that people can go, go around being you know, unsaved and still think their prayers are being heard, but God does hear the prayer of lost people when, when that lost person is seeking truth, is seeking uh, for somebody to come and give them some truth that they haven't heard before. And God hears the prayers of lost people that are reaching out to him, that are seeking him. Verse 32 and 33, verses 32 and 33. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea, so I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything that you have commanded by the Lord. Now that word commanded uh, is, a, is a, a word that I think a Roman centurion has the right to use. Now he, he's going to command his soldiers, and he knows that if he commands them, they will do it or else. They're going to obey orders. And, and so for uh, him to, to say that, that the, using the word commanded, in that vision that, that Cornelius had, it, the angel uh, said that God has commanded Peter to come and talk to you. Uh, he realized that Peter has a higher officer. Uh, he has uh, somebody above him, just like uh, as a Roman soldier, Cornelius had many so, uh, officers above him. And he says, your commanding officer commanded you. And that's pretty cool. This is going to be the third time now that Peter delivers a sermon. Do you remember the first sermon Peter delivered? The one on Pentecost, right? And then number two, he, he preached to the Sanhedrin. And then number three, this is the first sermon to the Gentiles. So our ears kind of perk up here. And Peter begins to speak in verses 34 and 35. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. Let that sink in. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, you have to understand this is an important turning point in the world of Christianity. Now, would Christianity just become a little obscure sect of Judaism, which was a distinct minority in the world at that time? It's still a distinct minority in the world today. Would it remain that way? And if Peter wasn't convinced, no one would be convinced. And to this day, Jews make up only a tiny percentage of people on the planet. So this is, this is a huge step in saying the gospel is not just for Jewish people. It came first to the Jewish people, but it was quickly made available to everyone. Verse 36, he sent the message to the Israelites. Peter continues his sermon here. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. 
Now, that word Lord is an important word. It would get, it would get a lot of people killed. The word Lord is the word kyrios, the same word that they use to describe Caesar. Every year when a Roman citizen, it was time for them to pay their tax, they would pay their tax and they all had to utter the oath, Caesar is Lord. And what, these, what made these Jewish whether Jew or Gentile, these followers of the way, these followers of Christ, so rebellious is that, so radical is that they, they would say, no, I can't say that. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And, and, and if these early believers had been content to just treat Jesus as one of their many gods just put up on a shelf, oh, here's this God and Here's this little idol, you know, this little handmade thing for this. And I fashioned a, a cross. I'll put that up there for Jesus, and I'll just worship all of these. All of these are Lord. Yeah, uh, you want me to say Caesar is Lord? Oh, sure, whatever. I, uh, Caesar is Lord. Yeah, he's one of my many gods. If they had been content to do that, there would have been no persecution. But they were not because they knew it was wrong. But they, because they did say that Jesus was Lord, Jesus is King, they were severely persecuted. They were arrested for high treason against the state. To say that Caesar is not Lord, well, just made him part of the rebellion in Rome's eyes. Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and, and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. And two weeks ago, we learned, we were kind of going over chapter 10, and I, I preached a message, how to be sure, like how to be sure of your salvation. And, and, and we um, talked about some of these verses and how it encapsulates, really just, just brings together in a concise format Jesus' entire ministry. Picking up verse 39, where it says, We ourselves are witnesses. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up, up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. In other words, Jesus was so real we sat with him, we, we ate with him, and, and there's the witness of the saints, and that's what Peter is talking about there. Uh, there's the witness of the scriptures. He, he's going to bring in the prophets and, and how they prophesied about him. And there's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Man, there were so many signs and wonders of Jesus' return uh, from the dead. So verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God and to be the judge of the living and the dead. So the gospel can be summarized. Jesus was born into this world. He lived a perfect and godly life, Peter is letting everyone in this room know. And he's the only one who could die vicariously, a substitute death for us because of our sins. 
And he died upon that cross, was laid in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again. And we got to see him, and then he ascended unto the Father, where he sits at the right hand of God. That's the gospel message. And verse 43, Acts 10, 43 says, All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. In probably less than two minutes, Peter preached a powerful yet simple condensed gospel in just a few sentences. Now, I don't think Peter was finished. I think he had more to say. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is ready to move before the preacher is finished. Let's look at the next two verses, verses 44 and 45. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured down even on these Gentiles. Peter is there preaching. He's probably just getting warmed up. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes down and goes, boom, right on top of the people in the room. And and Peter says, whoa, 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 I'm not finished yet. And the Holy Spirit goes, oh, yes, you are. (laughs) And kind of what happened on on the day of uh, Pentecost is what is happening now in Cornelius' house. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues or other languages that each of them know. They, They hear and they understand. It was a sign and a wonder of the Holy Spirit. And picking up in verses 46 and 48. For they heard them speaking in tongues, declaring the greatness of God. And then Peter responded, well, my goodness, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay for a few days. You know, we often read in Acts when a gospel message is preached and it says, and he was saved and his whole household. Because, you see, when the head of a household, when the father of the house or whatever, however however we describe that head, when that person, and, and back then truly it was the, the male role, and I think it still, uh, it still is today, but the, when the male head of the household came to Christ, it was almost automatic that the whole family came. Not because he said, you, you'll get saved and like it, like, you know, clean up your room or eat everything on your plate. The father was so transformed, so changed, that the others in the household would be changed as well. They would see what God has done in his life, and it would just manifest it in everybody's life. And sometimes even neighbors and, and friends. And I think um, when a household comes to faith, it's, it's truly a wonderful thing. The kindest thing that you can do for anybody is to get them to a place where they can be introduced to Jesus. So I want to share just a few lessons, and then we'll close with uh, some comments. Lesson number one. God wants to remove prejudice from our hearts. God wants to remove prejudice from our hearts. Cornelius had probably been been wanting to be saved for some time. 
And he was saying, please, God, send me somebody who can tell me the truth. The problem was not Cornelius. The problem was, was with Peter. It, you know, Cornelius didn't put up any barriers. He didn't put up any walls around him. God literally had to come down and tear down brick by brick Peter's wall of prejudice against Gentiles. God's grace is for every race. Not just for the Jews, it's for everybody. Is there any lingering prejudice in our hearts towards anybody? Especially prejudice that would keep others from hearing a clear gospel explanation. Any prejudice at all. If there is, ask the Holy Spirit to shine some light on it to help you get rid of it. Lesson number two. Anyone who truly seeks God will find Jesus. Anyone who truly seeks God will find Jesus. You know, we get caught up in the discussion. You know, we're going through Romans on Wednesday nights, and sometimes we'll have a, a, a discussion what if, a, what if an individual never is confronted with the gospel? One, do they get a free pass to heaven because they just never heard, never had a choice in the matter? Or second, are they sent straight to hell because they never had a gospel and thus never received Christ as their Lord? I, I think we have to look at it in this way. I think God gives to every person a clear indication of his presence. When you look at Romans chapter 1 and really look at it very carefully, God gives two witnesses that every person can have. First witness is creation. Take, for instance, the person who's in a, another country, maybe in a tribe. We, we often think of, you know, maybe a, in, in deep, dark jungle of South America somewhere where, where you know, people just are very closed off from the rest of the world. No Bible, no evangelism, no preachers, no evangelists. There's just nothing. All they have is just the common sense that they were born with. They can look up at the night sky and think to themselves, someone greater than me has made all of this. They can even look at the miracle of reproduction and say there's someone smarter, a lot smarter than me out there that... that has figured it all out, and I wonder who that is. That is the outer witness of God for every person ever born in the history of mankind. Second is the inner witness called the human conscience. How is it that every person of every nation has an innate sense that this is right and this is wrong? It is wrong for me to take your life, so I won't. <laughs> it is wrong for me to steal so I won't, but some do, and they have this inner voice that tells them what is right and what is wrong, where does that come from? Well, it comes from God, and it is true that God will lead the person to Jesus Christ when they pursue the light of truth that they do have, that they do have. 
The problem with so many men is that they've turned from the light and started worshiping things that they have made with their own hands, so their hearts are darkened. Again, I turn your attention to read Romans 1, the second half sometimes. But anyone who continuously moves toward the light of truth and seeks that truth, someone, God will will lead somebody to them to tell them the truth, or they will lead that person somewhere where they can hear the truth of the gospel. How about that guy from Ethiopia that we looked at a few weeks ago? He was reading scripture, reading Isaiah, and, and wondering, and then all of a sudden, Philip shows up in his chariot. I mean, this is a moving chariot. And Philip's running alongside and said, do you need some help figuring that out? Well, yeah, get on up here. And, and he tells them. God sends a messenger because somebody was looking for him. Peter, there's a guy who's wanting to know more of the truth. He's prayed. I've heard his prayers of a lost person. Imagine that. And Peter, go tell him. So God will bring salvation to the person who persists in learning the truth. And then third, God doesn't limit himself to one experience. God doesn't limit himself to one experience. There's something interesting here in chapter 8, 9, and 10. You know, there are different sequences. I think you'll find this interesting. There's different sequences to the different phases of salvation. Um, belief in the Lord Jesus, you, uh, water baptism, being given the Holy Spirit. Now, those are the kind of the three at points of, of uh, what we might call the phases of salvation. Some people uh, say that you believe and are filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people say that you are believe and, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit simultaneously. Um, some have folks uh, look at you're saved today and baptized, but you receive the Holy Spirit at some point. Those folks are called second blessing people. And they just believe that, that the Holy Spirit is, a, is that blessing that comes at a particular point in, in your life. So chapter 8, Philip has been preaching to the Samaritans. A big evangelism revival is going on. And the believers were saved and baptized. And then later on, Peter and John arrive in the town. And they pray over the people. And they receive the Holy Spirit. The second blessing people say, hey, that's it. And then in Acts 9, Saul immediately believes on the road to Damascus. And then Ananias lays his hands upon him. And he receives the Holy Spirit. And then later he's baptized. There's that particular sequence. And then in chapter 10, where the whole thing with Cornelius and his household are saved, and they, he receives and they receive the Holy Spirit simultaneously, all at one time. And then later are baptized. And, and, and Baptists say, that's how it happens. You know, you're saved, you immediately receive the Holy Spirit. So what's the point? The point is that you can't put God in a box. And, and, and say, it, it happens like this. It happens like this. He is the God of variety. Vance Havner used to say that uh, Jesus never healed uh, blindness the same way twice. You know, he, he goes up to one guy and he touches a man once. He's healed. He touches another guy. You know, be healed of, of your blindness. And then it says that, that well, I can see it. I can see. It's like uh, men walking, you know, like trees that are, that are walking. And then he touches him again, and he's healed. 
And then still to another one, he spits in some mud and goes, puts mud all over his eyes and says, go wash in the, in the pool of Siloam. So they take this blind man down, he washes the mud off of his eyes, and then he can see. And Vance Habner said, if we had those guys today, we'd have three new denominations by Friday. We'd have the once-touched church, the twice-touched church, and the spit-in-the-eye church. Well, let's come back to the beginning of the message to see how Peter really handled his critics when he turned, uh, re- returns to Jerusalem because he's got to go back there and he has to give a testimony of, of all that's happening uh, in all of these Gentile cities. And uh, Peter, who has just told the story to the uncircumcised, remember, they, they criticized him. Did you really go in their house? Yes, I did. But let me tell you, step by step, what happened? Acts eleven seventeen. After he tells them, if then God gave them the same gift that he also gives to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? How could I possibly? And it's taken Peter a long ways and a long time to to get here, to get to that point. What you have to understand is that the schism, the rift, The division between Jew and the Gentiles was greater than any form of prejudice we have today. You couldn't even go into their house and eat with them. Like I said earlier, this was not God's law. This was man's law. Imagine for a moment that you're a good Old Testament Jew. You believe that uh, God chose the Jews and it's you against the world. Uh, You against everybody that's unwashed, unclean. And that there's Salvation only for you, but not for everybody else. He told Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. But the Jews forgot about this. And they thought only of themselves. Okay, you're a good practicing Orthodox Jew. And I come to you and say, brothers, I have been called to a new ministry. I am going now to evangelize dogs. Yes, I'm going down to the kennels, and I'm going to rescue operations everywhere to witness to the canines. How, what would your reaction be? I mean, if, if, if I came to you and I said, Jewish brothers, that's who I'm going. You say, what, why would you do that? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Why would you go to dumb animals who can't be saved anyway? That doesn't make sense. And that's exactly the mistake these legalists believe Peter and Paul were making when they were witnessing and evangelizing the Jews. But here's what the legalists were willing to do. Here's a principle that we all need to live by. See what God is doing. See what God is doing. You want to undo some criticism and to bring it bring it back to, to friendship or or, or, or get it to where it needs to be. There's some conflict that you're dealing with. Huh. Let's read verse 18. Let's see what actually happened. When they heard this, the critics became silent. And they glorified God, saying, So then, God has given repentance resulting in life even to the unwashed, no, even to the Gentiles. And for the first time, person by person by person, it would be a long haul 
before they got people uh, enough people to be on on their side as this relates to it. So how did Peter win over his critics? Finally, uh, he told them the truth. Step by step, he told them the truth. Exactly how it happened without embellishment. Sometimes we get so excited. We get so excited. And we just fly off the handle with all kinds of words. No. He told them the truth. Step by step. Exactly how it happened without embellishment. Second, he showed them God at work. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. He gave the glory to the Lord and the circumcised believers, those Jewish people that were criticizing him, saw God at work and saw God getting the glory. And third, he did it in love. We don't hear any anger in Peter's voice. We don't see any anger in his, in his words. He just tells them what happened. And because they know Peter and love Peter and trust Peter, they accept the message as it was given to them. Folks, we can deal with conflict or criticism in a wrong way, but we can deal with it in a right way. Peter dealt with it in a marvelous, God-glorifying way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, as we come to a close of our service now and come to a time of uh, repenting, which is what Peter was calling on the people to do, Lord, there is always some sins, always some sins that we can repent of. Lord, show us, shine. For many of us, Lord, we don't have, have to have you show us at all. We're so embarrassed over our sins so ashamed to come into your presence with this sin still in our life, and I pray that you'll help us to repent. Lord, I thank you for the way that Peter lovingly dealt with those who seemed to be against him. Lord, we need to do more of that. Help us, Lord, to have a, a loving attitude. Help us to always stick to the truth as best we know it and to not embellish it. Father, this, this story got told three times in, in, in the book of Acts. And, and Peter tells it the same way. And Cornelius, he, he said the, the vision just the same way as it had happened. And Father, that's so important that we remember to speak truth. Maybe the truth today that people are grappling with is that they're not saved. And help them to know they can easily be saved just as Cornelius and his household was saved. They can just place their faith and their trust and their belief in Christ alone. And I pray that for each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation is now, and the, plate, the altar is open up for you. Uh, I'll be here to receive you, to counsel with you, to pray for you, to pray over you, whatever your situation may be. And just invite you to just come and just... Think about what God has exposed you to. Maybe there's, maybe there's a prejudice against a people group or persons that you would never tell the gospel to because you don't think they deserve it. Maybe God's done something wonderful in your heart today. Whatever it is, make it real. Come and, and just expose yourself to God. Ask for forgiveness of your sins. Repent. If you want to know how to come to Christ, I'll tell you. So come now. Let's stand and let's sing.